I'm Adam Blattenberg from Diesel World. Hi, this is Dan, owner of Dan's Diesel Performance. I'm Christian Roth of BD Diesel. I'm Braden Fleece, and you're listening to the Diesel Podcast. What is going on, Diesel Nation? We're excited to have you guys with us today on the Diesel Podcast. Today, I've got Christian Roth from BD Diesel on the episode, and he's going to be chatting with us today about failures that stock turbos can have. And they're going to vary depending on whether they're Cummins, Duramax, or Power Stroke. So I wanted to be able to chat with him and get some overviews of, of things you may see if you're looking for you know, used truck, you're checking one out, or you've had a truck for a while, notice something different you know, with the sound or their performance, some things you can look at and be able to see, you know, is the turbo really failing? And if so, what are some options that you have to be able to fix it and then, you know, upgrade it, get some more capability out of the the truck. Before we get to it though, I want to encourage you guys, make sure and jump onto our Discord. If you're looking to be able to get more information, connect with other diesel podcast listeners, ask questions about your build. You'll find a link down below. It's a great way to be able to network, chat about your build, get solutions to problems, or if there's things you want to hear on the podcast, questions that you'd like us to ask a guest, or if you have a particular guest in mind, it's a great way to do it. I also want to give a shout out to Worldly Custom Fabrication. They're a sponsor of the podcast. And if you guys aren't following them on Instagram or Facebook, any of their social medias, you definitely need to do it. They've got a ton of cool products I just saw released this week for 6-7 Cummins Intercooler Pipe Kit, which is really cool to be able to see the product. There's a ton of different color choices that you have, get some better performance, and they have a ton of other things as well. So whether you got a Duramax, Power Stroke, traction bars, they're coming out with tons of new things. It's really cool. They build all the products here in the United States. And if you have questions, they're more than happy to chat with you about your build. Make sure you're getting the product that you want. And then the customization that you have is just incredible. If you're a shop owner out there looking to stock or sell really custom fabrication parts, make sure you go to turn14.com, get signed up with them if you're not already. Their ordering process is super easy. You can see where the products are in stock, how quickly you can get them, get tracking email to you. So they make it as easy as possible to get parts to your shop. All right, let's get to the podcast with Christian and chatting about turbocharger failures. Christian, welcome back to the Diesel Podcast. I always enjoy chatting with you and asking questions we get from our audience. And today we're going to be talking about turbochargers. And I think one of the most common questions aren't necessarily um, you know, about race setups or things like that, but there's somebody who either has had a truck for a while or they just picked one up, um, you know, say that one that's been out a few years, and they're concerned about the turbo. And either there's been a failure or they're trying to be proactive and avoid one. So I really wanted to kind of hone in today on turbocharger failures as they as they focus on say a stock turbo and i know that there's you know, it's going to depend on what year we're chatting about and you know what uh whether it's a ford gm or ram truck but i know there's a lot of experience you guys have with that so i look forward to picking your brain about turbo yeah. failures and what kind of solutions are out there sure yeah definitely it's uh uh it's actually a great topic right uh, especially with a lot of people getting into used vehicles no new vehicles being available so uh, and typically the turbocharger is the first thing that they're concerned with, with this buyer, oh, how's the turbo, so on and so forth. And there, and there's a couple of quick checks you can actually do to make sure that turbo is operating correctly. Well, it's one of the easiest things to be able to check out as a consumer, you know, in most cases, say if it's coming, you can definitely see it, but you're going to hear it. You're going to, um, you know, see if there's an oil leak or you can just pop the, you know, intake off and see if there's oil in the, on the compressor side. And we were chatting a little bit beforehand and you mentioned that, um, as far as, you know, people contacting you guys and saying, Hey, I've, I noticed some oil on the compressor side. I think my turbo's bad. And I know you had some thoughts on that, that, uh, 
that I definitely wanted to hear, you know, as far as what makes turbochargers fail and what are specific things that people can do to, you know, diagnose or, or know if it's a turbo issue. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So we get the convers- or get the call quite a bit. Hey, I got oil on the compressor side. I think the turbo's bad or my turbo is leaking. That, that's a classic example, right? Yeah. True enough, if, it, if it's leaking out of a gasketed surface, then you, then you truly do have a leak. Uh, but on the compressor side or the turbine side, um, it'd be great if we had a cross-sectional kind of split of a turbocharger. But effectively, the only thing that seals out oil from the outsides on the compressor and the turbine side is, is piston rings, right? So early model units... Uh, had one piston ring per side, uh, compressor side and turbine side, and some of the later model uh, HE units, for example, actually have two piston rings on the turbine side. So, so effectively, that's all that sealing oil inside of that turbocharger, right? Um, and effectively, they're inside of that turbocharger uh, after that oil exits uh, the journal bearings or the thrust bearing. Uh, really, there should be very little pressure. Uh, in fact. There's actually crankcase pressure there, but uh, but we're talking about small uh, single digit, low single digit psi of, of crankcase pressure should actually be there. So uh, when we get that call, hey, I got oil coming on my compressor side or my turbine side. You know what? The first question we have is, hey, you know what? How's that crankcase pressure? How's the engine life? Is it is there excessive pressure? Because that will definitely pressurize. Uh, the bearing housing and actually pump push oil out, right? So effectively, uh, we see a lot of leakage or a lot of this situation happen typically at idle uh, when there's not a lot of boost or drive pressure, right? If there's boost or drive pressure, all that pressure is going to push everything in and keep everything sealed, right? And so it's going to keep all that oil from leaking externally, right? But at idle, you don't have that boost or drive pressure. Uh, And so if you do have a high crankcase pressure, or a challenge with the oil, uh, that's where you're gonna see the leaks, right? So for an engine that idles quite a bit, you could see oil turbine side or compressor side. Now, the another crazy thing we actually see, and this actually causes the majority of our, our, of our phone calls is uh, plugged air filters or insufficiently sized air filters for the application. And we really see this in performance applications where, uh, hey, you have this great new uh, Borg Warner SXE flows tons of air, but you got the stock air box, right? And what's going to happen is, is that high boost or high flow, you're actually going to create negative pressure in front of that compressor wheel. What happens is, is now you have negative pressure on the inlet of that compressor wheel. Now you're going to actually have positive pressure inside the bearing housing and you're going to suck oil out, right? And then that's where you're going to get the oil on the compressor side, right? Uh, so insufficiently sized air filters, plugged air filters, and actually believe this, filter socks. So those filter socks that, that are great, they're typically used in a dune environment, very sandy environment to protect your filter. They're terrible for airflow uh, and they actually cause a lot of these problems. So, so is your turbocharger bad? No, you have a negative pressure at the inlet of the compressor wheel and that's what's causing you draw that oil out. Right? And so that's one of the Wow, I had no idea. So that's one of the things we really, when we get that phone call, we ask a lot of these questions. Hey, is this what's actually causing the problem? And, and usually nine times out of 10, that is uh, is the result, definitely. Now, if somebody has a truck and the, and the turbocharger surges, you know, say it's um, 
got a lot of miles on it or you know it could be a performance application but you get a lot of turbo surge what does that do to the journal bearings or the internal parts of the turbo that can lead towards i'm sure more than just oil leaks it could probably affect you know the balance of mm-hmm. of, of the turbo contact with the compressor housing things like that yeah definitely and that turbo surge um is effectively causing a stall of the compressor right effectively so um it's it's actually pretty advanced that uh when you get down to the de- details exactly what happens but the root is is the engine is not consuming enough air uh up from the compressor and so it actually effectively stalls it, it almost like stops stops spinning to a certain degree but but it actually caused a very violent motion and the violent motion uh, then gets translated through the ger- uh, journal bearings back and forth. And the thrust bearing takes the majority of the load, right? That thrust bearing uh, is really just a flat surface, uh, generally about 3,000 in clearance. And it, typically it is a hardened steel surface uh, with a typically a brass surface, right? A lot of the newer style turbochargers are 360 degrees. And what that means is that uh, that particular will uh, thrust surface has contact 360 degrees all the way around. Earlier turbochargers were 270 degrees, and so a lot of the later turbochargers actually have a, a increase of uh, thrust capacity, as we call it. So, so effectively, when when a turbocharger stalls, the entire rotating assembly will uh, nutate back and forth and cause excessive load onto those thrusts. When you actually have an older turbocharger, of course, over time, 100,000 miles, 200,000 miles, right? Your wear parts, your journal bearings and your thrust bearings are gonna wear, right? And, and they have a certain amount of wear that's, that's designed, right? But in a, in a case where you develop a surge, it's very aggressive and you could actually cause contact, right? Once, once that compressor, once that rotating compressor turbine assembly contacts the housing, or effectively those journals no longer float in oil, you're gonna cause damage, right? You're gonna cause material transfer. And that effectively will then throw the rotating assembly out of balance, right? And then that's when you start hearing a lot more turbo whistle, right? And then the wear uh, gets very exponential at that point, really. It starts to really wear through the journal and the thrust and, and imminent life as we know it for the turbocharger has been reduced dramatically so now on the longevity you know with the miles as you had mentioned does it change when we go or compare to a different style turbo say like a garrett or a ball bearing charger versus the journal bearing style do those tend to be more robust or have a different type of failure um, that happens or a different set of symptoms when you know when they need to be replaced for sure, yeah. And every design's a little bit different, whether we're talking about uh, Cummins and Holstead versus Garrett versus Borg Warner, right? Every design is slightly a little different and a lot of them have pros and cons, um, right? Some of the ball bearing designs, um, the pro to it, it handles thrust load, excess, excessive thrust load very, very well, right? But again, you pay for that. It's very expensive. Uh, and so you actually have uh, a particular bearing assembly, right? Also, in a lot of cases, um, depending on some of the latest uh, ball bearing technology from Garrett, the earlier stuff was was speed limited, so very high speed um, 
applications, you, you really couldn't get a ball bearing, uh, but that's changed recently. They've done a really good job at releasing new technology and new bearings, lightweight bearings that can enable those speeds. And on the other side too, is keep in mind, like these big OEMs, they design for one thing, right? They design for lowest cost of manufacture, right? That is the key thing, right? And so they're gonna design it uh, to last X number of miles at the lowest possible cost. And, and so serviceability is generally not their primary design. Um, but the one thing is like on the Borg Warner side, that S300 uh, is fairly standard. Everybody can rebuild an S300. Everybody has access to journal bearings. And so if you do have a wear component, it can be rebuilt fairly easy. Once you get into the Garrett side of things where you have um, variable geometry applications, right? You have a lot more moving parts, right? Then you have more complexities. you got wear, more wear points. And, and historically, uh, in a VGT application, where the earlier turbos, you usually have a thrust or journal wear, and that's what actually took up the turbo. Now in VGTs, it's always about the linkage, right? That turbine yeah. linkage, always. And that's, that's always what's going to be the first point of failure, definitely. That's what I wanted to ask you about next was the newer style turbos you know say like on a six seven cummins it's it's really we get a lot of questions or see a lot of discussions about them with electronics or the sliding nozzle or just different issues that have presented themselves through the different generations of six seven cummins trucks and it it seems that it's always been a challenge to to be able to you know offer you know a, a turbo that you know, a lot of these guys, they're, they're not stock trucks or, or the people who are looking for a little bit better performance they have other things that are, are that are done to the truck. And it's always, um, I guess, just been more complex because you have these moving parts, you have this actuator, you have the electronics with it versus, you know, a, a 2006 or a 2003, 5.9. Mm -hmm. It was just a simpler, straightforward turbocharger setup. Yeah, definitely. And that and that's the case, you know, take a look at the turbochargers from the last, uh, geez, almost almost 15 years, um, everything's gotten a lot more complex, right? A lot more complex for, for emissions, right? You want to really control EGR flow. Uh, and to do that, you got to control turbine flow. And the only way to do that is to have some sort of variable geometry on the back end to control EGR flow. So, so unfortunately, yes. So the different, and I'm sure everybody's aware, Garrett has a different mechanism. Borg Warner has a different mechanism. And whole set has a different mechanism for that sliding actuator, sliding cage, right? In the whole set applications, it is uh, what looks like to be a little bit more simpler than the Garrett or the Borg Warner, and effectively, where you actually have a sliding nozzle ring, right? Where effectively they're sliding actually this nozzle and just pinching it down, uh, where you can actually increase the velocity of the exhaust gas, right? So on paper, it seems very, very simple. Uh, in actuality, uh, yeah, I, I believe Holset would tell you they had some challenges with it, right? So early model years, they had excessive stink, uh, sticking, whether it was from soot. Uh, turns out in a lot of cases, the actuator was overloaded and then ended up burning out, right? And so they released a newer actuator with a lot more complex uh, design parameters where they could handle increased load, where they can control it a little bit better, where the actual software inside the unit was much more complex. Uh, and uh, and could really detail uh, exactly what was going on, and they could control it uh, to a greater degree of accuracy. And so so far, we've seen a lot better success in those applications. 
but again, in 2019, they have changed it again as well. So, so it's, it's the fact of continuous improvement on the whole set side of things that we're seeing actuators get better and better and better. Um, but who knows, right? With every new technology release, uh, you're always going to have these challenges. I know the the BD kit for the six seven power stroke is really popular, and I wanted to transition a little bit towards the power stroke, the six seven power stroke, and have you chat with us a bit about some some shortcomings with the OEM turbo design, and then what you guys are able to do with your products to be able to address or increase the reliability and the performance that you can have if you own one of those trucks. Yeah, so on like the six seven power stroke. Yeah, so anybody that's got a two thousand eleven to two thousand fourteen is probably very familiar with the turbocharger, turbocharger challenges, right? And effectively, that design is a, a dual compressor wheel um, with a single turbine side, right? Um, Garrett went to a ball bearing unit to really handle the excessive thrust load. Typically, a, a turbocharger is a somewhat balanced assembly, and when I say balanced, not only for spinning, rotational balance but actually thrust load, right? The turbine wheel generates thrust, the compressor wheel generates thrust. You got one of each and ideally a perfectly matched turbocharger balances in the center. So a perfectly matched turbocharger doesn't need a thrust bearing, uh, but we know in a perfect life, this never happens, right? So in a situation for the 11 to 14 model years, you actually have a double-sided compressor wheel, right? And uh, which was kind of ingenious. It, it spools up excessively fast. like. Uh, faster than I believe, uh, I think the engineers actually anticipated, um, but they had a significant amount of thrust load because now you actually have excessive thrust pushing it into the uh, forward direction. Uh, and so you actually have to use a ball bearing to support that, right? Uh, which is great. You know what? We have the technology. Garrett has the ball bearing in their product portfolio. So that's no problem. Um, and so they released that. So the challenge though was, is that, Unbeknownst to the engineers, um, there was a, a specific RPM that created a harmful harmonic, right? And typically, this is typically it's not the first or second; it, it's in excess of like the third or fourth order harmonic, and it actually caused turbine wheels to fracture. Uh, and this was the problem on those 2011 to 2014 trucks: is that the turbine wheels were were spinning fins or spinning blades, as we call it. And there was a, a particular harmonic at a particular speed that would cause these failures. Um, and so effectively what, uh, what we're looking at in a lot of cases, those turbochargers were, were really undersized for a performance application. And so we're really retrofitting a lot of cases using the older or the newer model kit and retrofitting back into that. So not really new, not really uh, uh, a lot of the people were doing this. Uh, what we, our take on it is we actually made a kit um, that makes it a lot easier, right? Uh, you don't have to purchase about 29 parts from Ford. Uh, our kit is really uh, enables you to get it all in one place and actually retrofit some of those Ford turbos, those late model Ford turbos uh, back into those applications. Um, and, and shortly in the near future, you know what? We're going to have a, a drop-in replacement for that model year or for those model years that will kind of do away with all those retrofit kits as well too. So, uh, so if you can't hold on, hold off for that kit and that will be a real nice kit. So. And does the Duramax face some of the similar issues of either the six, seven Cummins or six, seven power stroke, as far as failures that they may see on a stock turbocharger setup? Yeah, you would think, right? Garrett being the default turbo on the Ford, 
Duramax as well too. And, and you don't see the failures, right? You don't see as many failures, right? And there's, there's a particular reason why, right? Ford typically um, controls the turbocharger using a back pressure strategy. Uh, there's a back pressure sensor. Uh, and then, uh, and Duramax has always used actually a vein position sensor, right? And so they know finite exactly where, where those veins are. And so they have a different control strategy. Um, in addition to that, the Duramax early models, uh, they, they obviously went uh, common rail very, very early, 2001. Uh, but Ford, even the six liter side, they had the, uh, the Huey system, which was, um, didn't burn as clean, right? And so you had a lot more soot loading and so on and so forth. So the Duramax has a lot more experience with a, with a cleaner burn, cleaner emissions. Uh, and so you don't really develop those type of challenges. Uh, and so Duramax has kind of put themselves in a better situation with Garrett than, than Ford has, right? So, yeah, definitely. Unfortunately, then, uh, then Duramax jumped over uh, to a Borg Warner uh, in the L5P models, right? So we've been hearing good success with L5Ps, but there's still performance um, on tap ready for those that, uh, that, you know what, stay tuned for us that we should have something released, hopefully, uh, maybe in the later part of this year, maybe the beginning of next year for those L5P customers. Well, I imagine as well with all these new trucks, how how much they're electronically controlled that the systems are, are very intuitive as far as detecting something that's out of range. And, you know, we hear about turbo codes and, and, and things like that where that's typically would probably be the first thing somebody would, would see is a, is a, you know, a, a, code and then they can investigate it further take it to a shop and they investigate it further and then start to see hey it's a sensor or it's it's something that uh that indicates it way before you just you know the the compressor wheel comes apart or the turbine comes apart or is something catastrophic like that which i imagine for repair shops and, and truck owners as well is something beneficial and that you can be alerted to something that's starting to happen that could lead to you know a catastrophic failure Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. For, for those used truck purchasers. Yeah. Some of these late model trucks are going to throw codes very, very easy uh, and very quickly. Right. So, so some of these other uh, earlier model year trucks won't actually throw codes. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, and effectively you got to do a little bit more due diligence uh, effectively. Like the common thing is, is that take the intake off, grab the compressor, right. Axially, there should be very little movement, right. In fact, there should only be about 3,000 movement in and out of that turbocharger, right? And, and really what you're doing there is you're actually moving the thrust collar on the thrust bearing itself, right? So 3,000 3, on a new turbocharger, right? So if you have any more than that, you have thrust wear, right? Um, and so uh, typically uh, on a 200,000 mile vehicle, you're going to get some thrust wear. What's excessive? Uh, it's really tough to say. Um, but anything that's more than about 10 thou, it's a failure, right? And so you're getting really close to contact. Uh, journal bearing wear, uh, effectively, and this is the one that catches a lot of people because they'll grab the compressor wheel and kind of move it side to side, right? Yeah. And when I say side to side, it's radially, right? And so effectively, in an apparatus, you're, you're moving something side to side. If this was the compressor wheel side, I'm grabbing this compressor wheel and moving it this way. In fact, what happens is I'm actually doing this, right? So it feels excessive. And we've taken that call. Hey, you know what? I got tons of side-to-side -side play, right? This turbocharger is damaged or this turbocharger is bad or do I need to replace it? And our answer is, is that 
you know what? You can have a lot of movement side to side, but until that compressor wheel or turbine wheel actually touches the housing, you're fine, right? Effectively, what happens is, is that as that turbocharger accelerates, it actually, it floats in this thin film of oil, right? It actually nutates up the speed and then it floats in the center, right? So it's that nutating as it starts to come up to speed is where you'll get contact. If you get contact, obviously the turbocharger is damaged and it needs to be repaired. But at full speed, it will rotate in center, right? Uh, and so for a, new, for a new buyer of a used vehicle, that's what we want to take a look at. You want to grab that compressor wheel and press it fairly hard down. Does it touch the compressor housing? Press it back up, move it in and out. And if it doesn't touch the compressor housing, uh, then it's, it's still good to go. That's a, that's a common question I see people ask about, you know, how much movement should there be? And, and I know it can get relatively complex with what you mentioned with the oil balancing the shaft and how the RPMs that it's spinning and how it's designed is, is, uh, it's definitely not as simple as, well, there's a little bit of movement. Well, is it, you know, is it touching how much movement, how much movement is there? For Um, sure. And a larger turbocharger, uh, will have, you know what, up to 40,000 movement, right? Versus a small, like an S200, or if you have a car, a two liter, a Volkswagen two liter has a tiny, tiny turbocharger, right? Uh, and so and so that's why we kind of, when you don't have quantitative data, is it touching the compressor cover, right? If it's not touching the compressor cover, you're good to go. You're not going to be having a problem, right? I know another question people ask is, say there's damage and, or, you know, they, they notice there's excessive wear up and down movement or just something's wrong with the turbo and they think, well, I can just rebuild it. And I know that that, that may not be as simple as people think because of one, the expertise, the balancing machines, you know, so if somebody calls BD and says, Hey, I've got this, um, let's say a six, seven Cummins and, uh, can I, you know, you guys have a, a kit for me to rebuild it. What, what do you, how do you phrase that to them as far as it's not quite as simple as just, you know, especially if you've never done it, taking apart a turbo, putting in this thrust bearing, journal bearing, putting it back together and you're, and you're on the way, which I think kind of leads into building turbochargers as direct replacements and the, the peace of mind and the performance gain and the reliability that you can have with an aftermarket unit versus just a rebuild kit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And again, when we take a look at the turbocharger, like I can actually take apart a turbocharger and I'll show you. There's roughly, what is there? 13 parts, right? Seems very, very simple. And it is very simple, except these parts have been designed and, and revisions have had over the last, you know, 30, 40, 50 years. And, and each part plays a critical role. And when something is spinning 150 to 170,000 RPM, if one part is off, the turbocharger is going to fail very, very quickly, right? Um, and that's one thing that we have to be cautious of, right? Um, effectively, you can't just take a rebuild kit, throw it all the journal bearings in there, bolt it all together, and put it on your vehicle, right? So a lot of things happen uh, as soon as you actually start turning the compressor wheel versus turbine wheel. The balance of the assembly changes, right? And that's why it's so critical uh, to do a high-speed balance, right? And a lot of the older technology. People used to balance turbochargers at anywhere between three to 5,000 RPM. But now all of the turbochargers that we build get balanced in excess of 75. In some case, uh, we actually have a new turbocharger coming out and it's balanced at 95,000 RPM. So one of our higher turbo, higher speed turbochargers, right? And so 
it's quite interesting is, is you actually start to see a lot of different things happen at 95,000 RPM, right? Yeah. And those things, you just can't, you can't solve that balance if you're slapping in repair kits, right? And this is where a, a professional rebuild or a professional build uh, is really going to solve these issues. So, yeah, the reason I ask that is I, I see, or get, I get questions like on our Discord channel or Instagram where somebody has gone down that route and they've either, you know, rebuilt it themselves or did something like that. And then they have a failure where there's, you know, maybe the part of the compressor housing goes into the intercooler or, or something else. And so it seemed like saving money to get the truck up and running is now turned into a more expensive repair. And I've heard it for lots of years. And I think that's something that's really important. Um, you know, almost like transmissions is, you know, they might seem simple. You get these clutch packs and they're all packaged in individual things, but what are the clearances? Have you done this before? Do you know, you know, the stacking order, different snap rings that are in there. And it's just, it's something that's so crucial to the truck that you want to make sure that, you know, it's done right because the charger's not running, the truck's not going to move very fast and you're going to be spending some more money on it. Yeah, definitely. And, and the big thing is, is when you think about it, when a turbocharger is spinning that 130 to 170,000 RPM, like we're talking tight clearances, like the journal bearings are plus or minus three to five tenths, right? Three to five tenths, right? So effectively a standard, uh, standard lathe would have a hard time maintaining three to five tenths. Concentricity is also tight as that, right? And so when you think about that three to five tenths, oh, geez, that's pretty small, right? I'll just throw some bearings that I bought off eBay on it, right? That's not going to happen. It's not going to work for you, right? And so it's the cost and the expectation, right? If you're going to buy a rebuild kit for 75 bucks, well, expect that, you know what, you're probably going to get $75 worth out of it. Right. And so that's the big challenge. So, um, yeah. And the other thing too, is, is that some of these larger turbochargers, the actual shaft horsepower is something that that's not talked about a lot. Like in a lot of these high performance applications, whether it's an S 400, some of these turbochargers, there's actually close to three to 500 horsepower shaft horsepower being developed by that turbocharger. Right. You think about that. That's massive. The amount of torque that actually is, or the horsepower generated from that shaft, you're like, wow, I got no idea. Right. (laughs) It's amazing. (laughs) Not to uh, entirely change gears here, but the other day, I think it was last week I was on Instagram and I saw a video that, that BD had posted that cracked me up with, um, it was like a skit with the, the new Duramax suspension parts that you guys had. It was really funny, but we had talked about that before on one of our other episodes about some suspension upgrades that you guys were offering for the GM trucks. And it looks like they're fully out now. People can order them, you know, go on your site and and get them. And I always like to ask you, you know, what's coming up next? Because once you tell us, it's not very long after that we start to see them out there. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. You know, Patrick, we talked about this before, really going to start sharing the love for the Duramax people. Right. So, uh, and really going to start see our product portfolio really expand. Right. We've had, uh, Duramax turbochargers for a while. Uh, Duramax suspension, we talked about that, right? The earlier model Duramax, right? Um, the GMT uh, 800 series. And then, uh, so the center links, um, and then now sway bar end links is, is what we saw the funny Instagram video. So that's a, that's a pretty funny meme and the marketing department has a good time with that. <laughs> um, in addition to that, we have some more Duramax suspension stuff really on the 
uh, on the docket really to come out. And we should see that probably in the next four months and look for the SEMA release. But the newest stuff is really sharing the love with the LB7 guys. We have an LB7 turbocharger coming up, right? So it's going to be in addition to our Screamer series. Uh, that's new. That should actually, the marketing guys are probably going to yell at me because they really haven't released it yet. But that's going to be released probably within the next week or so. Uh, week or so. Sorry about that. So really for the LB7, right? It's uh what is it? Uh, maximum capability of 630 wheel horsepower, um, no core charge, right? Big changes are is uh, changing compressor wheel, new high flow turbine wheel, right? It's, uh, it's really focused on releasing and creating a balanced system, right? With the increased flow at the front and the compressor side, you got to do it to the turbine side. Um, and it's really expanding into that drop in replacement, which we talked about, Patrick, is is that this is where the market is going. Real simply, ins simple installation, drop-in performance. Like usually all this performance was, you had to go to a an aftermarket where the add-on kit was very exhaustive. You know, it's going to take eight hours to install. It's going to be very difficult. You're going to lose a lot of the functionality. The market's changed. It's, it's not accepting that anymore. We're doing drop-in performance. Uh, in this case, 630 horsepower drop-in performance for an early LB7. So. Uh, and that's the continual market. Like I said, we're pushing towards this where it creates better value for the installer, better value for the end user when you can actually get a performance like performance from this turbocharger with an easy installation. We have a lot of listeners that are, are do-it-yourselfers. And, and uh, like you mentioned, a lot of those kits in the past, so you, you used to have to change so much, like the downpipe, the pedestal, you're running different you know, drain tube, oil feed line, different charge pipes, this whole setup. And it's, you know, I've known some people that have done those and it's like a whole weekend kind of thing. And it's like, I really want to spend, you know, my Saturday and Sunday to hopefully have the truck ready by Monday or, you know, do I want to do you know, drop-in turbo, something that's just more yeah. of a direct fit. Yeah. Again, you know what? We want our life to be simple, right? Right. 630 horsepower out of a drop-in turbo, um, right? It, it's, it's much easier, right? Let's, let's, let's not uh, make it too complex. Life is complex as it is, right? Yeah. <laughs> let's not make our turbo install more complex. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Yeah. The, the simpler it is, uh, we get to enjoy the truck more, you know, and it's yeah. something that, uh, it probably, you know, helps as well for the shops out there when they, you know, they cut the install time in half or down, you know, 75% less on something like that, which, you know, definitely helps them. And, and we know the shops out there are incredibly busy and, and swamped. So the quicker that they can do things and, and get their customers back on the road, you know, the better for them. Mm -hmm. Almost definitely. Yeah, definitely. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. So that's really exciting. And we actually uh, kind of related it. We got some more Duramax stuff that's coming out in, in uh, for a SEMA release. Uh, as well as in the, in the winter as well too. So there's uh, some L5P exciting stuff that uh, that's on the docket as well too. So uh, one or two products that uh, that we'll tackle there and we'll release there and we'll continue on progressing with this. You know what? Don't make it too complex. Make it simple uh, and deliver value to the customer. Well, we'll definitely we'll definitely bug you about those on some future episodes when you get closer to the release. But I always enjoy chatting with you, Christian, and and uh, answering a lot of the questions that uh, people have about just failures on on stock turbos or just they buy a truck and it has a turbo on it. And they don't know if you know, hey, is this catastrophic? What do I need to do? What are my upgrade choices? So I appreciate you answering those today, giving us a, a little bit of a peek into some things that are coming out here, and look forward to chatting with you again here soon. 
You betcha, Patrick. Do enjoy it. Thank you very much. Don't forget, diesel fans, make sure and head on over to WCFab.com. Check out what Worldly Custom Fabrication offers for your truck. And if you're a shop owner out there looking to sell WCFab parts, go to Turn14.com. Check out what they have. If you're not set up with them, they make it really easy to get set up, be able to see inventory, order parts directly on the site, get tracking. It's just a super easy process. also wanted to give a shout out to two of our Patreon supporters, Texas Diesel Supply and Wright's Diesel Services. If you're looking for more content from the Diesel Podcast, exclusive episodes, being able to chat with us direct if you'd like your truck to be entered to be our our podcast cover for a month there's a lot of cool perks that we have for you guys you'll find a link down below to be able to join and also our discord channel which is a great way for us to connect with you guys and it's a it's a great way to have just everybody in one place we can chat with each other you can ask questions about your build get help on a project or just show off your truck love seeing the trucks that you guys have and the things that you're doing with them until next time keep the shiny side up